and actually the whole thing really um i went from working you know 15 hour days as i described before with the two to working 15 hour days on battle systems because <laughs> it just it's just what the company needed and the thing yeah. is and it's always the way with the business is the fact that no matter how much you love your business you've got two aspects you've got the reason for the business, the creativity, the fun, the, the the ethics, everything behind the business and the reason you're there, the passion. And then you've got the, what I call the piece of paper. As I do these Insider Insight episodes and talk to different creators and designers, it never ceases to amaze me some of the paths that led them to where they are now. And that's going to be true of today's. I sit down with Colin Young of Battle Systems. We talk about what the battle systems are, and if you've watched any of my live stream games, you know that I use their terrain. We talk about the process of creating terrain that doesn't look like it's made of cardboard. And we spent a good bit of time talking about Core Space. That is the game that he created, and you're going to love that game's origin story. All right, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Colin. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to Colin Young of Battle Systems. Now, if you watched our live stream battle report between me when I was playing the Arcanist Karis and my good friend Jim playing Seamus, you actually saw some of Colin's terrain in action. We used it to build the board for that live stream. Uh, Colin and Battle Systems also have released a new miniatures game called Core Space. So we're going to talk about all of that. First off, though, Colin, welcome to the third floor. Hey, Craig. Thank you very much. It's uh, good to be here. <laughs> good to have you. So um, uh, traditionally, what I'd like to know from my uh, first time guests is how you found tabletop gaming. So how did you find the hobby? Do you remember kind of your first exposure to it? Yes, I do. I um, I was, God, I was 13 years old and um, in school and a friend of mine um, gave me uh, a book. Uh, it was the original Rogue Trader. And, um, and he's just showing your age, Colin. Yeah, yeah, man, 47. And I, yeah, so I kind of like looked at this book and I was kind of like, I just looked at it, had a picture of, you know, some sci-fi stuff on the front. I was like, right, this is cool. You know, I'm not a great reader, you know. Uh, And he said, no, no, open it up and have a look. So I started flicking it through and that was it. The whole world around me just disappeared, you know, because I'm, it was like someone had read my mind about what I love about, um, uh, yeah, yeah, when I was like really young, I'm going to go right back now, but when I was really young, I must have been four or five. My mum was, my mum was obviously really stressed. Um, and she was, dra- <laughs> she was dragging me through, uh, uh, the town on an island where I grew up. And, um, she was just dragging me, dragging me, dragging me. And she dragged me into a lamppost and I sort of oh, <laughs> right to the lamppost, had this big bump on my head. I was crying, you know. And um, she obviously felt really guilty, and we didn't really have much money, but she must have felt really guilty because she took us into 
a shop called Woolworths, which is no longer around anymore. And um, yeah, there were, she said, just pick something. And I was really into 1960s Batman. No <laughs> and kidding. Had, and they had the little bat, Batmobiles um, with the two little Batman and Robins in it. And I said, I'll have that. You're not expecting to get it. She got it for me. And I got home and I just started playing with this. And I built myself like um, their little bat thing, that cave thing out of Lego and things that I had. And I, and I was just like, wow, this world is massive. You know, because normally yeah. people are playing with these big sort of like six inch figures and uh, I, I was into three and three quarter Star Wars as well and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and some people have big 12 inch like action men and stuff like that. And, and I was really frustrated about the fact that when you play with these, you don't get much, you know, if you want a vehicle, you've got to go big, you know. So yeah. whereas this, I was like, well, I can use these cars. And I started building up this entire world very quickly around this one little Batmobile. So then I got a butter knife. That's the one I was allowed to touch as a kid. And you were out cutting. And I prized the little figures out of the seat so I could actually take them out and play with them. And actually, I think once I got those figures out and I started building the worlds around it, I kind of got hooked on the immersion of, of I can have an entire, almost like a city on a tabletop, as right. opposed to if I've got, you know, Star Wars, I might get a ship <laughs> on the right. tabletop. And, and I think that's what did it. And I used to, from that point on, I used to have a lot of toys that were based around that, things like Zoids and stuff like that, where I could really get into it. Um, yeah. And then Rogue Trader was handed to me, and it was just like someone out there had st- read my mind and started a company. That was just... <laughs> had, had, literally, you saw your whole childhood right there. Right? I did, but but done properly. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so mm-hmm. I was like, really, kind of. I just, I, I was just, I was just absolutely struck, and that was it. All my pocket money, everything went out and got myself a job just so I could buy the like the miniature figures and just yeah, spent a fortune on the stuff. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I'd be curious then, Colin, so you, you know, you get into it now. Did you actually enjoy playing the tabletop games as well? Or were you strictly more into the hobby aspect? Okay. So for me, um, it was about play. Obviously when I was really young, I was literally playing. So I was like, right. you know, sound effects, the whole thing really, really enjoyed myself. Um, and then, uh, I think what happened was when you get to about 13, you're not allowed to play anymore. I remember my mum saying to me on my 13th birthday, actually, right, this this is, son, this is the last year you're going to get toys, you know. And then I was like, I was gutted. I was like, what, what? You know, because um, I still play with toys now, you know. So I was kind of like, um, this gave me an excuse to still play with stuff that I love, but in a more kind of grown up acceptable way because sure. I was rolling dice. It was a game. We were allowed to play board games. Um, and of course, I enjoyed it because it gave it gave a function. Then it became uh, you know a win lose situation. Whereas when you're when you're a kid and you're playing, you really you just you just make it up as you go along. This gave right. me a scenario. It gave me rules to follow. It gave me it gave me direction and focus. Um, and I think yeah, I, I guess I never played again really, other than tabletop games. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I I, uh, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, I. I Tended to mod the games a lot. Um, I didn't like the mass war games. So when I played Warhammer 40k, I would like boil it down to maybe five to ten miniatures, and I'd boost up there, give them a few more rules because there's less yep. of them, and I, you know, and, and I remove. I made the skirmish version of it before that before it was around, and that's what that's how I used to play all of my games that I ever bought. <laughs> Yeah, you're way ahead of the of the skirmish uh, craze. Then that's good. <laughs> I just I just didn't like this whole wave of infantry walking in and um, being wiped out, you know, because you spend a lot of time painting the miniatures and building the terrain and doing all this lovely stuff, and they all get wiped out with a dice roll. And I kind of felt sorry for them or something. I don't know. So I thought if I could, I wanted the more heroic kind of individual. I guess at the time 
you know, the kind of role-playing Dungeons and Dragons kind of feel. But right. I, didn't know, I didn't know what that was back then, but uh, <laughs> I kind of made that up. <laughs> so, Colin, um, you know, so you get, you know, young, uh, young adolescent into high school, you're playing the games. Um, and then at some point you get, you know, of age for university. That's usually when we hear in these stories, people taking a break from from the geek hobbies. Did you ever take a break and then come back to it or, or was this a constant in your life? Uh, I'd say it was a constant, but I definitely, I, I definitely reduced my activity. So, you know, I would go from kind of, you know, you get a job and you do all of that kind of stuff. Life takes over. I would say from about 16, uh, well, actually around about 14, 15, I got into like, you know, training and doing all the kind of fitness things and had all these separate hobbies that I was trying to get into. Um, uh, but I was always kind of like, oh, a painter the weekend or something. So it, I kind of reduced to kind of a painter um, with the intention of gaming. And every now and again, something would catch my eye and I'd spend a little bit of cash and then, you know, nose, open the box, give it a good smell, you know, that nice <laughs> that nice ball game, new ball game smell. And, and then generally I would just kind of like maybe get a game in or something. But um, most of my friends at that point were really not into uh, tabletop gaming at all and of course you know we're going back there's no internet or anything so sure uh, again show me age but there's no internet and no real you know so there's no community thing you know there was no mobile phones uh, you know so um i was really just left to kind of um enjoy it as i was you know just uh just me and a scalpel and some paints and whatever figures i could grab grab hold of now before Battle systems existed, or the idea of 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 owning or starting up battle systems started. Um, what did you do um, career wise? Uh, okay, so uh, I dabbled in quite a lot of stuff. Really, um, had um, uh, I was teaching martial arts at one point, and um, I wanted to get into teaching uh, guitar as well, but that's kind of a bit competitive where I am. Uh, and ultimately, whilst doing that, um, I've got all my, you know, my usual day jobs. So I did various kind of retail jobs and um, I ended up um, getting a, uh, becoming like a facilities manager of a big kind of storage uh, plant. And I know uh, it's kind of new in the UK at that point, but storage was big in the USA, you know, storage centers where you get your own lockout yeah. and stuff. So I kind of worked my way up through there uh, for eight or nine years um, until I've become um, training manager for developing the sales in the company. And then I really got into like sales training and nonverbal behaviors and the psychology of sales and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And, I, I, and of course, being, a, being running the big facilities as well, I had all the business background. And I just, after about, wow, 18, 19, nearly 20 years, I just got fed up of, um, uh, you know, making money for other people and yeah. not get not getting a chance to actually uh, do the things that are that I really really love. So um, yeah, I kind of about three years before I left the company, I started Battle Systems, and I kind of had the two jobs at the same time until Battle Systems was self supporting, and then I was like, right, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> so is- out of curiosity, where does the initial idea for Battle Systems come from? So when does it become Something like, you know, I think I want to sell something. I think I want to make something. What, what does that look like uh, the day you, th- you start thinking it? I think probably uh, around about my, uh, I would have thought mid to late 30s, I was kind of realizing that I wanted to do more of the stuff that made me happy. So um, I just started the gaming stuff. I started spending the cash and painting again. Um, and the the issue that I had and always had with miniature games is the fact that um, I found the scenery very um, frustrating. Uh, that you, 
unlike today, you go into GW or something like that, there's, there's scenery, it's, it's expensive, but you can kit a table out. That wasn't around, yep. so you had to build all your own stuff. Uh, most people, if they wanted a battlefield, they'd put a couple of books under a green sheet and that would be the heel. That's how I started. But for me, you spend so much time painting the miniatures and the miniatures are beautiful and everything. And then you put them on this really kind of poor excuse for a battlefield or a, a scenery. So I, I, you know, even before that, whenever I did game, I started just building my own scenery just out of cardboard. First of all, some scratch built stuff, a bit of spray, a bit of dry brushing, just something quick and simple. Um, but I kind of got fed up with the fact that once you've built that, you play it a few times, it becomes a bit boring. You're always storming the same base or doing something like that. Or um, And I, I, so I always wanted, I, I started making, um, in fact, I had a, an old copy of uh, Space Crusade. And I just took, first of yeah, I just took the board from it and I just cut it up uh, and then cut doorways into it. And I, even though it was a floor, I was using it for walls. And then I would right. kind of clip the walls together so that every time I played, I could have a different kind of, you know, base or a different mission to go through, something different. Um, and I started adding multi-levels and just doing that for myself. And I, and I found it, it it was much more fulfilling uh, for the games and stuff. Um, and after that, I was like, well, you know, technology got a bit better. I got a graphics tablet and I was like, well, I'm going to draw some walls, then print it out. And then I'm going to, so it actually looks like walls. And then I started doing that. And I think I, I think I shared some stuff on Facebook um, and people were like, Oh my God, wow, this is amazing. Where can I buy that? And I was like, well, you can't, it's mine. It's like, well, you make me one. And I was like, no, it takes me forever. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you couldn't pay me enough to sit there making stuff like this for a month, you know. So, um, but there was clearly a need for it. Um, and that's where Battle Systems come from. It, it was really, gotcha. a, uh, you know, uh, uh, I went to print and play. That's how it started. So, if I were to go back and look at what you posted up on Facebook, Colin, and and see from from a design perspective, both in how you you know connected everything, as well as the quality of the graphics, and look at what you have now. So for those listening that aren't familiar with Battle Systems, um, they I came across Colin's work on the second to last Kickstarter you guys did um, for the Fantasy Terrain, uh, uh, and it was I so I had seen similar ideas before and passed on it, passed on it, passed on it. And the biggest thing that made me pass on it is it looks like what it is. It looks like c- cardboard terrain, right? And it, and it feels like cardboard terrain and you, you look at it and you go, yeah, that's cardboard. Um, I watched, I don't know, the first 30 seconds of your video before I realized what it was in the Kickstarter. And that's when it hooked me. I'm like, holy cow, this is, this gives me the benefit of that type of terrain without it looking like a bunch of cheap terrain. And I got the Kickstarter stuff in, Colin, and it kind of knocked my socks off. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's gorgeous. Gorgeous enough that I've featured it in my live stream games. Um, it's beautiful work. And uh, there's a lot of innovations in how you connect things and how those become hidden once they're connected. And I, I'm trying to give um, background to the people listening, because I, what I want to know, Colin, is what I got in the Kickstarter, what changed from that to the, your initial prototypes that you did on facebook okay so yeah so original initial photograph uh photograph uh, sorry um original uh, prototypes on facebook would have been um uh, the print and play stuff so i was first of all I was, i'm heavily into sci-fi so i started making these sci-fi walls now the difference is is that i would do all the artwork on there and create these a4 um kind of uh, Amer- uh i think a uh, letterhead american yep. size uh, and um i would uh, i would then uh you would then buy those from me and for like 
15, 16 quid. And then you can print as many as you want and you can just build a whole battle system. You can fill your table, you can fill 10 tables. Um, and it looked really nice. It was single level, looked really, really nice. Uh, and I was using it to play on anyway. I made it for myself originally. Anyway. Sure. Um, and that, um, that was, everybody loved it, but the time invested in order to uh, actually build that is going to be the big issue. So um, what what happened is that, I mean, you know, you're looking at a, yeah, if you were dedicated and didn't have a day job, it'd take you a month to kind of just sit there crafting it, you know. And I'm, I'm like a scalpel man, you know, so I'm like, I'm really, really, you know, I, um, I'm all about the scalpel. There's a certain motor functions to using a scalpel. <laughs> Sounds really yeah. really daft, but there's a, there's a skill to doing it. And, of course, some people are going to uh, struggle with that. So there is... Um, there is a skill kind of barrier to get over. Um, so, and I think after the first year, that's how I did it. I thought, well, I'll just do this. I didn't really plan on making it a big career. It was more a case of sharing what I love and just um, maybe making a bit of money on the side, you know, some sort of fulfillment, you know, make me feel, self feel better. And um, by the time it was getting close to the end of the first year, I was just like, you know what? I wonder if... And I started, I was kind of working on a second set for that. But at the same time, I had this idea of like, what, how, what, how, how much would it cost to get it manufactured? So if I, if I made it flat and I did it like this and I, and I made these little cardboard clips and, um, you know, and I'd spent a good couple of years prior to that um, just learning things like Photoshop and, you know, so I've always been an, like, kind of an artist, and, you know, uh, as it were, but I had to start learning how to use artwork on computers. So Photoshop and all that kind of stuff. And I slowly kind of put it together. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and and I think what happened was I, I, I built a prototype and I took it to our first show. I, 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 I spent a little bit of cash and we went to a show. for I put, I put like a little six-foot table. And um, people were coming around going, this is amazing, we're going to buy it. And I was like, you can't. Yeah. But I'm thinking if I can manufacture it so that you guys don't have to actually spend any time at all. And it's already pre-colored, pre-cut, you know, just ready to ready to gain straight from the box, basically. Um, and I'd um, a guy come up to me. Uh, well, two two people come up to me and mentioned Kickstarter. One was uh, Mantic Games, you mm-hmm. might be familiar with, and yeah, the other one they're familiar with Kickstarter, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yeah, uh, and they mentioned to me about Kickstarter, and also uh, a, a really good uh, uh, friend of mine, uh, Chris Birch from Medifius. Um, oh nice yeah, yeah. Um, and he came out I didn't know him at the time and he basically said wow this is amazing I absolutely love this you should put it on Kickstarter and I was like right okay so and he said it was really nice to me he said to me it, 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 I think this should go on Kickstarter however you know people make a lot of mistakes on Kickstarter so yep. please do um, you know hook up with me we'll have a Skype call and I'll just give you the rundown on the do's and like the 101, you know, of, of Kickstarter, what you do, you need to know. And I think he spent a good two and a half, three hours helping me out. Um, That's and awesome. actually still to this day, I speak to people and say, who say about Kickstarter and I'm like, I tried to pay it forward and say, look, I'll, I'll give you some of my time and I'll tell you what I've been told about shipping yep. and how to treat your, you know, your supporters and everything else, communication, the whole thing that often goes wrong on a Kickstarter. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and that's, we went to Kickstarter and obviously it was very successful and that was it. At that point I was like, right, I can, I can make this, this seems like a business that would support myself and my family. And it's something I enjoy doing. And it's kind of where the print and play should have been in the first place. Right. Um, so, and that was, that, that was it. And then from that point onwards, it's just, yeah, 
artwork has got better as I've learned. I guess I've become a, a better artist, but it's not just about being able to draw. It's about being able to um, do the art. It's about knowing what looks right at the right right scale and how to how to kind of to fool the eye into believing something is what it is. You mentioned it look doesn't look like cardboard. Exactly, that's the key. It is, and like when we do, I mean, we, maybe not so many at the moment with COVID, but um, we've uh, you know we're normally doing sort of uh, two or three really big shows a year, and um, the amount of people that come up and you know, saying, oh, this is amazing, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you lift it up and they're looking at it and they're just like, and they're standing right there, you talk to them for 10 minutes and they're yeah. like, wait, is this cardboard? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's cardboard. It's like, wow, it's really light. It's like you can flat pack it away and just take it. It all fits in this box over here. And they're just like, oh my God. And then at that point, they're amazed by how it looks. But once they realize how practical it is and that they don't have to paint it, they don't have to cut it, they don't have to do nothing. They just have to sort of clip it together. Um, and you know what? You don't have to build that. You can build this over here instead of the same thing. They're just, I think that's where people are like, wow. And then they love it. And then you lift the roof off and go, oh, you can game inside as well. You can take your figures inside. You can open this door and look at this cargo crate. This opens. You can lift it off. Look, there's stuff inside, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and it's kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And so, and that's normally where the hook is. And that's what I always missed gaming when I was younger is that ability. Lovely miniatures. Uh, inferior terrain um and so everything i build i build for me you know it's 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 what i want to do it's not necessarily not always necessarily the right business choice um, <laughs> and that, although it is it, it, it always works out to be that way but uh i work that's not the driver yeah that, that's not the driver for me the driver is i want this you know um and i was mr sci-fi and i was like right fancy i really want fancy terrain um, and so, uh, and I knew about some future projects that I wanted to do and I was like, right, let's just put the train together for it in advance, you know? So, um, that's, that's, that's kind of how it developed from that first Kickstarter all the way through the multiple Kickstarters that we've done. So I'd be curious, and I'm going to use, uh, one of the pieces that I love of yours as an example to walk through this. And, uh, it's the pitched roof, um, dock house. Uh, that I got as part of my Kickstarter, right? Um, it's a beautiful okay. piece that's got uh, the slanted roofs and it's got the dock that's got the, uh, yeah, the decking around it and stuff like that. Is that the one that comes to the lake, the lake house? Is it the lake house, lake thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's, just, it's, it's a beautiful piece. Um, but what I want to do is go back to what's the first step in designing the lake house? So I, I assume you get an idea, like I want to make a house with, you know, decking around it. What's the next step? How do you, what, how do you go from idea to prototype to finished product? Can you walk me through that? I can. It's not, um, it's not the same way that most people do it. Okay. Um, so what happens is basically is, um, the lake house kind of already exists because I decided I wanted a townhouse. So, you know, um, and a tavern and so on and so forth. So what happens is, is that the first building I made of this, the fantasy terrain was a townhouse, a very simple two-level kind of, you know, Victorian-esque fantasy kind of mm -hmm. feel with a nice slanty roof. Um, and the first thing is, um, with when you work in cardboard, what you have to do is you have to uh, make a decision about what what is achievable and right. what isn't. So I can make anything in cardboard. It doesn't matter what it is. So if you say to me, I want a tree, I can absolutely make it in cardboard. But the thing is, is that certain things you don't want to do in cardboard because if I build a townhouse and I stick it there and it's cardboard, until you get out really close, you don't realize it's cardboard. Um, and so it looks great. And, and it will continue to look great until I put a tree next to it that's made of cardboard. And then that will look nice, 
but you'll know it's cardboard immediately. And when you see that tree is cardboard, everything else becomes cardboard. Interesting. So you've got to be you've got to be very careful that you don't, um, you know. So in sci-fi, on some Kickstarters, we get a lot of, yeah, oh, I need a sentry gun. We really want a sentry gun. You could do that out of cardboard. I was like, yeah, I could. But we won't because then you've got this cardboard sentry gun and everything else looks like cardboard around it. Take the gun away and everything else looks like, you know, much more realistic immediately. So for the lake house, I was, or the townhouse is how the lake house started. Um, I literally just think, right, I want this townhouse and um, it needs to be reasonably modular. Um, so some of our terrain sets are completely modular. It means you flat pack them, you can build it, any, you do anything with it. With something like a ta- the, the fancy terrain, the buildings are a little bit more bespoke. So you right. can you get an aspect of modularity. You can take two ha- townhouses and kind of build it into a, a, a townhouse that's double the size and so on and so forth. But because it's got very unique shapes, you reduce some of it. Um, and so you make that design design decision. It's kind of like, do I want the uh, the pitch of the roof to be a perfect triangle? If it is, it, it becomes a lot more modular. But then yep. I lose that beautiful fantasy curve, which gives it all the style and stuff. So I make a choice, style over function. Um, knowing full well, it's still going to be completely functional. You can still mod it. You can still make it bigger and smaller, and but it will look, look better. The, the, the aesthetics are important. Um, and then I just see it in my head, and that's it. I just see it in my head. And what I do is I go straight to a graphics tablet, and I just draw the artwork and as I'm drawing the artwork, I draw straight onto the screen. So I've got like a pen display, like a Wacom big yep. thing. Twenty, um, And I just draw directly onto the screen. As I'm doing the artwork, I draw the die cut lines that China will use. <laughs> no um, kidding. To, to cut the shape that you need to do. And normally you'd send something to China and say, here's a thing, make the die cuts from that. Yeah. Unfortunately, they just can't make it precise enough. So I draw the die cut lines and I have to get it. Um, and I get it accurate um, to within a pixel, uh, basically on the screen, a 300, re- uh, 300 resolution. And they copy that and they can get it. There's a slight um, uh, tolerance in there, but it's, sure. it's, it's fractions of a millimeter. And so um, I draw it directly on there. And then when I've done, I actually just print it out at home, mount it on cardboard, cut it out, and then it just fits together. As I'm fitting it together for the first time, sometimes I'll need to make an adjustment. Ooh. You know, that slot needs to move, move over slightly. So as I adjust it on the prototype, I would then uh, go, I'll have my screen open. I'll be like, I'll adjust that and I'll tick it off as I go. Got it. Uh, but generally, if it's something reasonably simple like the townhouse, in fact, I don't think I made any adjustments on the townhouse. I just drew it straight on the screen, cut it out, and it worked. Where normally people would use like CAD or something to kind of work the 3 d right. out. I don't do that, but um, and I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so, um, but I just so I design it in my head. I, th- I think about how it looks. I draw the tool in for China and the artwork at the same time. I print it, I prototype it, I build it. And actually, that's what you see on the Kickstarter when you're seeing the photograph. That's my prototype. So I build all of that by hand. Interesting. Um, and then, um, and then China obviously print it. They send print it and cut it and send it to me, and I test it all to make sure it's all correct. Sign it off, and then that's how your product arrives. It's just an exact copy of what I built. So, you know, you you said it. That's not the normal process, right? Normally, it's a it's a reverse engineering. You start, you know, sketching out the three D, and then you go backwards to flatten it out. I've had people on the uh, show that do MDF, and that's what they talk about with MDF. Yes, but I think it, I heard one of your uh, uh, recent um, the, the guys from TT Combat, Lewis from TT yeah, exactly. Combat was on. Yeah, yep. and they talk about the, how they put their new guys straight onto the, the cutting machines and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, none of that here, unfortunately. <laughs> that's funny. But so, do you think that it's uh, count? 
down. It's just the way that your brain works now that you're able to kind of skip those steps and design flat for 3D right out of the gate. Or is it, is it, I guess what I'm wondering, is this something innate in you or is it just experience yeah, at this point? Unfortunately, yeah, nobody knows. I don't think, I, I think the, uh, the, the rest of the crew, like Wayne and Stu and stuff like that, they just think I'm a bit weird. <laughs> and I think that's what, that, that's ultimately what, what what it comes down to. Um, I think I think I'm just a very 3D guy from when I was a kid. Uh, no doubt, building all of the stuff as I you know in my yeah. childhood, you know Lego would have been into it. You know uh, would have would have played a part probably. Um, uh, but a lot of um, when I was younger, I wouldn't didn't have like like I said, I didn't have like a great deal of money. So you know, I might have a few Star Wars figures or whatever, but. I wouldn't have the full set. So often I was, I was big into transformers, but I really couldn't afford them. And actually mm-hmm. some of the robots that they transformed into were rubbish anyway. So I didn't like them. So I ended up sort of building my transformers out of paper. And, that's um, and so, you know, I, so I kind of like, I spent a lot of time kind of building stuff. So maybe there's a, it's something that's inherent in me, but also it's probably been nurtured through right. creating stuff that I want to play with that probably couldn't afford maybe, or just didn't exist often uh, is the case. Um, and then when it comes to doing this, um, trying to think back to the very early battle system stuff, I yeah, I mean, I, it would be the same again. Um, I would have just drawn it uh, directly onto the, uh, the screen and, and printed it and stuff. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, by watch or necessity, it sounds like you had a lot of DIY growing up right so you you kind of went through you prototyped this process for several several years in your childhood i did i don't think i ever found it difficult um i don't ever remember having um issues if you know what i mean i wouldn't you know it pretty much everything i um pretty much everything i bought was um uh, sorry everything i made i don't remember having disasters you know i'm gonna make a line of transformers and then it didn't happen i just did it i don't remember any screwed up (laughs) Stuff like like lying by the side of the. I just I just remember. Um, it might be my selective memory, or maybe I rem- just remember the successes, um, which which is also maybe not a bad thing. But no. um, yeah, I do. Um, I do definitely. Uh, I definitely spent a lot of time building stuff uh, when I was a kid. Um, scissors, paper, cardboard, scalpels. A bit when I was a bit older, I guess. Um, did a lot. Of, yeah, I used to. You know, obviously, as a uh, getting into forty k, I did a lot of scratch building of stuff, you know, buildings out of yogurt yep. pots and all that kind of, all the stuff that was in the books and other stuff. So it must have had, it must have had an impact, but um, yeah. Well, and that's a different era too of, of tabletop gaming and you and I are the same age. Um, GW doesn't do it anymore, but GW used to put out books on how to create from scratch your own terrain. And it was right, a very yes. common thing, you know, here's how you make trees using felt and this, you know, and here's how you build, make buildings using Pringles cans and so on yeah. and so forth, which they don't do anymore because they sell the terrain now. Um, they do. But yeah, our when I was your age, when I was getting into tabletop gaming, either, you couldn't buy terrain. You, you had to build it. So I completely understand that. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk to Colin a little bit more about what it's like to be in the business. And I want to dive into what it's like to run a Kickstarter. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. 
Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So I know that there's people listening, Colin, that are like, man, you know, I, I, I hear Craig interview all these people to make a living in this business. That's got to be the greatest thing. You never have to work a day in your life. And, uh, you know, all they do is play games all day. Um, but I have talked to enough people that I know that's not the case. Um, so let's go back, Colin, to you started doing this on the side. Right. Battle systems exist, but it's not something that you're using to support you and yours. Uh, it's something that you're doing on the side. I would first like to know. Was it, I don't want to do what I'm doing for a job, so I'm going to put more effort into battle systems? Or did battle systems just start to grow to the point where it was just like, look, you, Colin, you need to make a decision. <laughs> you know, you, you're not going to be able to do both. Okay, so I think if I'm completely honest with myself, which I guess I better be at this age, um, I, I think that I've always been miserable working for other people, you know. Yeah. I've never been happy just doing... You know, I'm, you wouldn't know it to see me at work because my job was standing up in front of people and presenting and kind of like, you know, selling, being the corporate brand kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I was absolutely miserable, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Um, and and so um, the I would say the drive is possible that I, I didn't, I wasn't, I certainly wouldn't have been sure where the battle systems was going to work for me. But I think I just had this thing of like, well, if it at least makes me feel better and it increases, you know, some sort of benefit for the family at the same time, then I kind of get the family get a benefit from that. And then I get the benefit of doing something creative because when you're not doing, if you're a creative person, you're not doing something creative. It just drives you nuts. I mean, it, yep. it just makes you miserable. You get depressed and it just, yeah. So I think that, um, I think the success of the first Kickstarter, uh, so up until the first Kickstarter, I think I was kind of like, okay, this is, um, I'll keep doing this. Maybe, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll slowly grow over years. Maybe it won't. Um, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen. When we did the first Kickstarter, it went really well. Um, having ha had that help, I, I said uh, from uh, Chris, I knew that the money on the screen is really not, you know, you can't look at that money and just go, oh, my God, I'm loaded. You know, it's great. You know, no, 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 no. That doesn't work at all. And I knew that going in. So so but but I also knew that the market was there and right. wanted what it was that I create for myself. So I was like, hmm. So I need to find out now whether this is like just a one off or whether it is, you know, and so as you go through that Kickstarter process, you you realize that, no, there's something going on here. So at that point, I think sometime just after the first Kickstarter, um, I was like, right, at, at the time it was kind of a self, I was registered as self-employed and employed. So, and at that point I was like, right, I need to turn this into a company first of all. So we're protected, <laughs> a limited company so that it becomes its own thing uh, in case anything goes wrong, the, the family protected, you know, the usual boring business stuff. Uh, and so I did that. I uh, put it into a limited company, and then I just like really, really careful and because I had my day job. I didn't need 
didn't need it to make money to pay me necessarily. Um, although at that, you know, at that point there was actually two of us. Um, I got a long, long-term uh, friend of mine, Wayne, who is, you know, uh, very early original battle systems who would be doing like the website and, um, you know, I'd need some Photoshop stuff, tooling, redrawn in, um, illustrator in AI kind of thing. He knew that. Great. Let's, let's, let, let, let's make that work. Um, so, but apart from that, it was, I didn't need to take any money. And so I just kind of kept, kept doing the battle systems thing and letting that go in. And then once everybody's got everything they want and we checked, we've got all our damage and 10% of damages and, and you paid your taxes and all of that kind of stuff. The money that's left over, I was like, well, I'll go and put that over there and then I'll do it again. And I just keep, and I kept doing that until it got to the point where I think I knew after a year, uh, or by, I guess after a year after the Kickstarter, that I could have finished my job, uh, my day job. But I think because I had like three kids and a mortgage yeah. and everything else, I was like, well, what happens if it all goes wrong? This money over here would only last for this amount of time. And so what would happen is I would have to get another job and I spent 20 years building up myself up in this job. You know, you've got all this usual fear uh, that kind of grinds down on your shoulders. So um, so I just kept doing it until it got to the point where it's like, right, if it goes all wrong now, uh, you know, so at this point I've been running my uh, my uh, my uh, battle systems as a limited company for three years. Wow. Uh, and also I was still working in this other place and I was like, right, okay, I think now if it all went, I couldn't see how it would go wrong, but if it all went wrong, I'd be like, right, I'd have four years or five years before that run out over there and I could support yep. the family while I built up. And that's it. it gave me a chance to do something else creative that was working for myself. So that is when I was kind of like, see you guys later. I'm done. Um, and, but the other thing as well is, is of course what was happening is I'm, I'm getting up at maybe five or six o'clock in the morning for my day job and, I'm traveling maybe 45 minutes, but sometimes three hours into London. So in the UK, that's like, you know, a couple of hundred miles away. Sure. Um, so I'm, do I'm driving down there and I'm doing a full day presenta uh, presentation in front of people, which is absolutely showering, you know, because you're up there selling and enthusiastic. It's and exhausting. It is exhausting. Yeah. Um, and then you finish that. I've got another big drive home. So I'm getting home at like seven, eight o'clock at night. I'm having some tea, seeing the kids into bed. And then I'm sitting and going, right, now I've got to work on battle systems. So I've then yeah. work till like midnight one o'clock in the morning then get up at five six and so it's getting to the point where my body's just not going to take that for, yep. for much longer and the work was from battle systems was just the demand was so high that that i just couldn't do the two together um but it was a good profitable business so i was like okay I, not only do i have you know i'm it's safe for me to stop my day job now but i absolutely need to because if i don't battle systems won't grow anymore because i won't be giving it enough time but also I'll just fall down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll collapse. So, so I had to, and I was exhausted. I mean, I was, you know, um, I was working ridiculous, you know, I was just, like I just said, up at five and into bed at one o'clock in the morning. Um, so it's not, it's not a healthy lifestyle. It's a very short term sacrifice. So, or so I thought to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, uh, cause you think when you finish work that you're going to be, you know, oh, now I've got all this time to work on battle systems. It's going to be great. I'm going to be like getting out when I want. And well, I never thought that obviously having, you know, worked in a business, but you just think it's going to be easier and it sure. kind of gets harder. It's weird. <laughs> well, I can imagine so. And then, the, you know, the other piece of that too, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine the reality of the business piece becomes a much bigger part of it, right? You know, when it's something on the side, the business aspect of it is, is a, is a, uh, 
a necessary evil. But when it becomes how you support yourself and your family, the business part becomes maybe the most important part. And that stuff isn't necessarily creative or exciting. Um, paying, budgeting, paying bills. <laughs> it, it, it isn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, as a creative person, I really still do like a good spreadsheet. You know, I love an yeah. Excel shared spreadsheet. Every time I, you know, I've got this idea for a project, something like that, the businessman in me kicks in and I'm kind of like, well, if we do this and we do that, and I love to pull the cost together, get a quote from China and do all of that stuff. It's all good stuff. But at that point, making all that happen is, you know, um, it's hard work because I'm doing all the artwork, I'm doing all the design, I'm doing all, I'm literally creating the products from scratch. And then what happens is I've then got to run the business side of it as yeah. well. All the boring, you know, the spreadsheets and paying the bills and the tax and the, the VAT was a nightmare back then as I well. Um, and so, yeah, so, and of course, preparing for a Kickstarter and while running Kickstars. And actually the whole thing really, um, I went from working, you know, 15-hour days, as I described before, with the two, two working 15-hour days on battle systems because <laughs> it just it's just what the company needed. And the thing yeah. is, and it's always the way with the business, is the fact that no matter how much you love your business, you've got two aspects. You've got the reason for the business, the creativity, the fun, the, the, the ethics, everything behind the business and the reason you're there, the passion. And then you've got the, what I call the piece of paper. And, and, and the business is not an emotional human being with thoughts and stuff. The business is just an animal and it is just a piece of paper. And right. the piece of paper only cares about the bottom line. Um, and, so it, and it doesn't care how many hours you're working. It just knows that there's an opportunity over there and it, and if it wants to succeed as it does, what needs to, then it has to. If you want this much, if you want to, if you want ninety percent of your success, then you need to put this in. It doesn't right. care who you are. It doesn't care if you yeah. die and then someone someone else replaces you. <laughs> it, it has no emotions. It's not a thing, you know. So so you have the piece of paper that is the business, and then you have the the the, the creativity around it. Um, and that is a tough bit. Um, and that I was bet. really hard to manage. But you know, ultimately. You, uh, we don't have like big business premises or anything like that. We and even to this day, we still work from home. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, but there's four of us now, um, and you know, I've got one guy that um, uh, Stuart, who's absolutely brilliant. He basically he he does his best to kind of take off of me all of the um, all of the stuff that. So, so basically, I'm a bottleneck for the company. So <laughs> there, there is this. This is this is a big thing. This is a bottleneck for the company, and it's kind of like right. We need to do all these things. Like right, okay. Well, I, I, if I don't die, I can I can manage to do these things yep. within this set, set year. So we've got like a five year plan, and it's always moving forward and changing a lot. And we're kind of like right. I can do this. This is what I can do, and that's the maximum output battle systems can give you. And so his kind of job is to kind of, not his job, but he kind of takes as much, he takes away anything from me that isn't my product. And I've tried to find people to kind of help me with what I do. But the trouble is, is that everyone's like, okay, well, you know, show me your CAD stuff and stuff. I was like, well, I don't have the CAD. It's all in my head. So right. I can't, it's very difficult to find somebody who can, who does, who works in the way that I work. Um, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to. It's limiting, isn't it, Colin? It, it is limited. It is limited. In one respect, it's limited. And in one, for me, for help, it's limiting. Um, yeah. I'm not saying there's not people out there that can do it. There must be. Um, but but the thing is, is that if you know, having kind of spoke to some people and so on and so forth, and I've kind of showed them something like um, in the fantasy train. I'll give you an example. In the fantasy train, we've got a wizard's tower, really lovely, beautiful piece, and 
like all of the stuff you can lift off the top you can even open the tower and see all the multiple floors in it absolutely a beautiful piece now the speaking to some people in the industry i said look how long would it take you if i said to you i wanted wizard tower how long would it take you to design that you know and they're like well well, I wouldn't design it. This person would design it and then we'd get this person to do the artwork and then this person would... Okay, I said, all right, okay, so what, what's the time frame involved? They say, well, you're looking at like three weeks to design the, the shapes and the things to slide together. You're probably looking, you know, two to three weeks for the artwork to go on it. Then you're going to have like, you know, a month's worth of prototyping and building and correcting stuff and, and you can't have three months to build this thing. That wizard's tower when we was running the Kickstarter, never existed even at the beginning of the Kickstarter. And about halfway through, we're kind of like, right, everyone wants a wizard's tower, I'll make a wizard's tower. So I kind of drew it and I built it and it took me five days to create the wizard's tower Amazing. on the Kickstarter as you see it. So that's the tooling and that includes building it and photographing it as well. Right. So, so I can't find someone who can do that for me. And I, but I also wouldn't want to bring someone in who could do it that's going to take three months have to keep passing it around to other people and do xyz yep. because as far as i'm concerned that is not um that's just not fast enough so i'm a bot i'm very fast at what i do but i'm also a bottleneck because i've got so many ideas that i want to do so i kind of if, if it's not something that if it's something i can farm out i will farm out to like an artist or whatever you know so um so, so so with the terrain it's all me everything me with with our games where, we, where I'm doing concept characters I'm designing contact I, I, I'm if you take original core space for example all but one of those characters um, are all my designs so I'll do all the concept drawings and all the blah blah blah, blah. but in order to then uh, do the final coloured artwork I can do that as well however it takes me 12 hours and there was 40 per, per character final colours and there's 48 characters so straight away you've got 48 slots of 12 hours which for me is 48 days sure with three hour break you know so uh, i uh so but but i don't have to do that so we right. pass that off to a guy in america um nick greenwood who's an amazing artist done some amazing stuff and so i, I kind of palm stuff off I, i'll still have control of the characters what they look like but we'll pass it to nick who can do that while he's doing that i can do the stuff that other people can't do the terrain and all the things that need to be done. So it's a, it's a weird, but I, I'm stuck in this bottleneck, but I've got some great help. I've got Stuart who looks after the business side of it and is doing more and more and more. And we've got someone who looks after retail. And we've got Wayne, of course, who's still doing all of the, he does all of the law and the story. So That's awesome. I, I, I would kind of be like, look, this is what it is. This is what it looks like. These are the, these are the things, da, 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 da. This is what they do. This, I'm, all, I'm all about function. I know how they work. I'm all about the mechanics. I know the technology. I know the da, 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 da. I was like, right, let's wrap that in a really interesting story. You know? it's, like, it's like, here's all these really cool things. And I think they're coming from here. And this is what's going to happen. And this is where it's going. We can't mention this. Da, and, and I pass all that stuff over. I'm like, go. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and somehow and it, Wayne comes up with it, huh? <laughs> well, Wayne's really good at the story and the law, as you see. So he's he's a, he's kind of like a writer. He's an artist as well, but he's a writer. So yeah. what he would do, he kind of brings that all together. And he'll come back and go, oh, I really like this idea and blah, 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 blah. And we'll have some discussions, probably some quite heated discussions. We've certainly had a, uh, uh, at least one or two arguments over gravity at some point. So, um, and I'm kind of like, yes, I know gravity doesn't work like it does in Star Wars. <laughs> I know we need this central thing and I know it needs to do that. And I'm all about practical you know, core space is all about basing it in a certain amount of reality. But however, you know, um, mechanically for, for for some games, you just you just need to go with kind of the Star Wars approach and go, yes, explosions impact in space. And yeah, don't, don't worry why, why gravity's on all the ships. Let's just not worry That's about funny. it. I know they're not spinning. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. 
So you got you got hooked up with the guys at Modifius and they and, you know, they were kind enough to sit down and give you some tips um, and some direction on the Kickstarter. And how many Kickstarters have you done at this point now, Colin? Oh, God, I don't know. It's it's it, it feels it feels like about 50, but it really isn't. And it, it's like I think we've done like eight or something. OK. Um, yeah. So um, but we just do tend to do one a year. We like to do it properly. People sometimes right. people really cram Kickstarters in and they'll deliver projects before they finish another one and stuff like that. And that's that's what the business that's what the piece of paper wants you to do. The, the brains behind it basically says nope not if you want to survive you know so yeah no it um it was it was a well-run kickstarter and um uh even the customer service i got afterwards was excellent by the way excellent. um that's great but um so if we go look at your first kickstarter yeah and we look at the eighth one what mm-hmm. is the what is the learn there so what is what did you do in your eighth kickstarter because you had gotten good at this that you didn't do in your first one. I'd like to get a sense of what's changed for you as somebody who uses Kickstarter as a business model. Okay. So, um, a very first Kickstarter, I just went on it and we put, we put up a, a funding level. I can't remember what it was. I think it's like 23 grand or something. And I was like, if we can do that in 30 days, then that's no problem. Um, and, and I, th- I think we did it in four hours. Um, and then, so I was like, oh, great, I think, you know. Um, and then I think on day three or four, we got to a point, it's like, right, I now need to register the company for VAT taxes, which I didn't have to do because we broke brackets. So that I'm kind of like, wow, this is going really good. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, um, yeah. this is a little bit more responsibility. and st- I'm used to big responsibility in the other company, but it's different when it's your own when it's sure. your own family and everything. So so I kind of, um, what was different? Well, it was interesting. I got all that help from Chris, personally from Chris, who who owns and runs Modifius. You know, he's the, he, he's the guy that sort of created that company. And um, I just basically had that as bullet points and just said, right, I, I need to follow this. So I didn't overpromise and underdeliver, and I kept it simple and I kept it. And, and as we were running the Kickstarter, really what happened to supporters, especially a lot of the ones that we'd kind of um, – uh, got to 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 chat into on Facebook. We spent a lot of time just speaking to the people that wanted this product um, or this project, should I say? Um, uh, as it wasn't really a product at that point. Sure. And and um, they 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 kind of on Facebook they told us, oh maybe we should it'd be really good for this. A lot of games use this grid thing, and we should do. It. And I was like, okay, I'll see if I can integrate that. So we just did a lot of listening first of all, and I kind of put it together. Um, and then when the Kickstarter was running, we got funded and, you know, and then people were like, oh, you need to do an update. I was like, do I? Oh, yeah, you need. And so we just listened to the supporters who had all the Kickstarter experience and just like, yeah. and by, and literally by the end of the first Kickstarter, you kind of feel like a Kickstarter expert. And you look back at the beginning of the 31 days back then, I think it was, you know, and I was just like, wow, if I'd known that going in, it didn't matter because I adjusted really quickly. Um, and we ran out of stuff to show them very quickly. And that's where me making stuff while the Kickstarter is running came from. You know, it's just like, wow, we've run out of stuff. Okay, stretch goals. What do we need to do? Wayne's looking at me like, you know, Carl, I don't know what to do, man. You know, it's like, you know, we've got like, we've still got another 28 days and you've, you haven't given me anything else. <laughs> so I do this, he calls it Colin Foo, but I basically go really dark and I just like, and I say, just keep him happy on the comments. And I'm, like, oh. and I'm, I'm sitting there and he's, and he's, and he's just like panicking, literally sweating. To the point where he's sending me emails like, "Carl, literally, I don't know what to talk about anymore. This is this is a this is on the original Kickstarter." Yeah. And then I, and then suddenly a load of photographs are arriving. It's like I built on a rival bay or something. And it's like he's like, 
why didn't you show me that before? I was like, it didn't exist before. <laughs> so we kind of like, and he he then puts that up on the update. Uh, and of course, the, and you think, right, that'll keep me busy for the next 10 days. But of course, what it does, it kind of drives the Kickstarter. So suddenly the Kickstarter funds go up and Wayne's like, that ain't going to last 10 days. And I'm like, what do you mean? He says, I think probably by tomorrow afternoon it's going to be. I was like, oh my God, so I'm back on the table and I'm scalping away. And, you know, and, and so the first, but, but at the same time, I've got Chris's voice in my head from the original conversation. Don't overpromise, don't underdo yeah. Think about the shipping weight, you know, what's coming on. Make sure you communicate clearly. Make sure that you don't, you know, overpromise and underdeliver is the big thing. Yeah. Really. And so I've got all that going on at the same time. And we get to the end of it. And we did, we did really, really well. And we're sitting there and I'm just like, right, I think it's like, midnight we did it for UK finishing midnight I was like right I'm going to bed that's it you wake up the next morning you just look back across the kickstart and go right somehow I've got to do that um, and I had manufacturers kind of set up and stuff but you know I was still at a point where I was like I don't even know if they're really going to be able to do this thing over here because I'm building it and going wow that's a really small tolerance for a die cut tool can they do that you know so yeah. you know um, and so I was uh, we took an approach to say that we're not going to skimp on anything, which is basically say, will you, you know, we got, we got quotes from, uh, from China, which would have saved us a lot of money, but we didn't, we went for the big professional factories at first to make sure that we, you know, less profit, but better product for the customer. Yep. And so we, uh, we kind of did it that way. And that was been our, pro- and that is still our process today. I could get our terrain, for example, manufactured at much much better, uh, better prices, but it, there would be a, a, an issue on quality. A trade-off. Yeah, a trade-off. And, and, you know, and I think maybe some companies would be happy with the trade-off because the business is the bottom line. And I don't know, maybe there's shareholders involved or whatever. I don't have any of that. So I'm just like, no, it's yep. got to be, it's got to be perfect. Or as perfect as like, nothing's ever perfect, but you know, as perfect as I can be. So that was the first Kickstarter. By the time we get to, let's say the last one we've done, which is the Core Space Firstborn, our second Core Space Kickstarter, that was, just as stressful in many respects. Uh, the difference there is that I've got, uh, there's like four of us. So you've got Wayne making sure stuff goes on the page. I've got um, Stuart writing all the updates um, and uh, just managing uh, the, the tool. So, so Stuart would come to me and go, right, I need this. Um, I don't want it more than this many sheets. I don't need that. Da, da, da. And then he'll say go. And then I'm like, right, <laughs> it's like, whatever it's going to be. And then I, I hand it back to him and he's like, okay, great. That's not what I was expecting. I was like, oh no, really? He's like, no, it's great. It's brilliant. But that's not what, <laughs> that's not how I saw a wizard's tower. Or that's sure. not how I saw, but it looks better than what I thought, you know, so that, that's fine. Cause that, there's kind of a twist that I put on things. And so that, all of that still exists. But the difference is we're just more organized. We've got more experience. And so the pressures are the same. The hours are the same. Uh, the stresses in that respect are the same. The difference is, is really about presentation. Um, the Kickstarter, if you look at our very first Kickstarter page and our latest one, it's a lot clearer because yeah. of people like Stu and Wayne making sure that, that, that the message is clearer to the, to, the, to, the, to the backers and the supporters. And it's... It's about having, you know, you can see a, a development in the product, you know, the miniatures and how we present it. You know, the, the original core space miniatures on the Kickstarter, they look good. And the ones that we've got, the firstborn, are also good. They're both amazing miniatures. Right. But they look they look better on the latest Kickstarter because we present them better. Right. You know, we've got better <laughs> renders and, you know. Yeah. All, all the, so there's a lot. And, and, and there's almost too much to list. You know, you could look at just a Kickstarter banner on a page that shows you what you get in the pledge. And there's so many 
things you can do with that banner to make sure that it's understandable. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they'll have a fantastic miniature and they'll, you know, a, a, a 32 millimeter miniature. But on 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 the on the banner that you know on the screen when it's open, it's like 70 millimeters tall because you're looking at it and it doesn't matter how greatly detailed that is it makes the miniature look not as good you know yeah. and so we've, there's all sorts of rules like like don't try and try not to show a miniature at bigger than the scale it would be when you get it because it will just look better it will look cooler sure um and actually now our miniatures are getting so kind of detailed and nice that we can kind of show them a bit taller and have a little bit more size to it and just go and, and it still looks really good so so i think the biggest all of the stresses stay the same, but it's the it really is just not be knowing what to expect, knowing what to expect. I was about to say, you, I would imagine you're more prepared, right? So it doesn't change doesn't change the pressures, but at least being psychologically prepared for it might be a better situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me personally, I find the Kickstarter is a lot less stressful now. I mean, there's still stressful because I'm having to build stuff as we go. Um, and, and as much as it's fun, it's really, it's really hard work and it's a pressure because it's like, wow, what if this doesn't work? You know, because uh, uh, once I've, I put so much time into it, it's like, right, we need it today. It's like, well, it didn't work. It's like, so I'm going to need another two days. You can't do that on Kickstarter. So that hasn't happened so far. But, but I try not to look at the Kickstarter page too much. So I just focus on what I'm building and, and I look at the page once a day and it's less stressful because it's always an up upturn you know and it, and i just I, I don't see the dips and the troughs which stress me out you know as kickstarter goes up and down you know and i, I avoid any like negative we don't get very many many negative comments but i try to avoid those so i get shielded shielded a little bit that's good but, um, that's good yeah <laughs> well guys we're going to take a quick break when we get back from this break i want to talk to colin about creating a game so not only have uh has he been responsible for starting a company that puts out some gorgeous terrain but they've got a game called core space and i want to talk about that we'll be right back hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there is a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, 
getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. Time for a quick shout out to our most recent patrons. A big thank you goes out to Peter Sojnik, Nathan E. Hoyle, Jimmy CZ, Wayne Peacock, Oliver Borden, Zachary Wills, J. Douglas Nielsen, Patrick Healy, Ifrit V. Diablo, Greg Packman, Eric Conrad, and Joe Root. Because of them and the 100 plus other patrons, we're able to put out content to you on a regular basis. Thank you. Hi there, this is Owen from the Nova Open, and I am a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because I love supporting the whole Malifo community. I want to help Craig and the whole Third Floor Wars team continue making the fantastic content that gets me through my daily commute. You should join me in supporting the show. Just pause this episode, head to patreon.com and search Third Floor Wars or grab the link in the show notes. See you there. I have guesses on what may have led to core space. But instead of guessing, I'm just going to ask the question, was it a situation where you made some cool terrain and go, oh boy, I bet it'd be cool if we could play this game on this terrain? Or did the idea of the game always was there and you decided to go for it? So where where does, I'm not going to make just terrain anymore, I'm going to actually design a game. Where does that come from? It's, it's kind of a weird one because actually the reason I started Battle Systems in the first place was so that I could make the games that I wanted to make. So that was the, that was the process. However, having done a few shows, showing off my stuff, and meeting you know uh, people who run companies like Chris and uh, Ronnie from Mantic and stuff like that, you you know in advance that putting a game together is not as easy as what people think. Oh, I've yeah. got some miniatures sculpted, and I'll, I'll throw some rules together, and this will be my game. You can do that, but if you want the game to be successful, which I'm really passionate about, not because not just because it's a business and I want to make the money. It's about, it's the game that I've, I, I've always wanted to create. So, so you want it to be successful. Um, and so really, I wanted to do a game straight away, but I just knew that I wouldn't have the experience and I've got to take my time. Um, so I did what I could do best, which was the terrain, and I worked my way. And it wasn't until I'd done, you know, four, maybe five Kickstarters, I forget. Maybe Core Space was the fifth one. Um, and... That was when I was like, right now, now I um, now I'm ready for a game. At this point, I'd spoken to sculptors and got you know some miniatures done, and you know I'd bought like a three D printer and was just like messing around and doing all of this kind of stuff. Uh, but the, but the actual game came way before, um, uh, way way before Battle Systems. Um, Interesting. I mentioned earlier on that you know I would often the games that I would would buy miniatures for i would immediately adapt the games to to suit my play style um it kind of started with that really but i was a massive star wars fan and i always wanted star wars miniatures and i had the little 25 minute meter west end coast ones and you know when i was really young um and then i kind of lost them and i started sculpting my own kind of stuff and because i wanted to play star wars again in miniature style and then I think it was Wizards of the Coast, is it? Brought out the pre-painted um, Star Wars, like the D&D miniatures. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is it. it was another one of those moments where this is what I've always wanted. So I started <laughs> buying all this stuff. Up. I spent thousands on that, on that, on that stuff. It was ridiculous. Um, but I got the characters I wanted and I started uh, playing that. And 
And what happened is, is that I have this kind of rule system, which I've always used, which is the same system that you get in core space. And it is, it's a system that supports a small band of people. So in Star Wars, it'd be maybe Luke and Han and a few little rebel troopers. And it'll be like them against a lot more people. That was how it, you know, a, a horde of stormtroopers. So you get this right. real heroic kind of thing going on. And I made sure of certain things. Like I always liked um, having ammo um, or charging weapons or whatever. Um, and I had, uh, for Star Wars, I had like the force, you know, which in core space becomes skill pegs. And, and I had health and all these different things. And, and so it, it meant that the NPCs were a much more simple mechanic, which were controlled by the game uh, rather than another player. And then you would have me playing this band of whoever and like i said it could be a star wars thing and then i adapted it to a judge dread game and a batman game <laughs> and a hellboy game yeah and and it immediately moves and adapts because the core rules of core space work with kind of any system uh if you want to do it you then just, all you really have to do is kind of like remove the story and replace it with different characters and maybe tweak some of the mechanics so, you know, like I said, in my Star Wars game, we had I had these um, these force pegs um, on the dashboard. And what I did, I replaced them with, um, in the core space, it becomes skill pegs. You know, the right. ability to kind of, you know, be good at close combat or, you know, stealth or whatever, you know. Um, and so really, I wanted to do a game early on, but I just wasn't ready for it. So by the time I did do the game, I was definitely ready for it. And I think that really shows in core space. And I wanted a game that was that had all of the depth of a kind of um, a role playing game, uh-huh. but with the fast paced kind of speed of a kind of a zombie side kind of game. You know, where you could just move and and have all the action without loads of rule books and right. big long discussions, and so though that still can happen. But you know, you just have to. And so I wanted the depth, and that's that's where I kind of really delved into. Um, uh, to, to to call space and and again I I called on the, our supporters of our Kickstarter and I called on uh, the Facebook guys and stuff like that and I just invited them round and we we I made a uh, um, using our city block uh, our urban terrain I made a, a, a game a kind of apocalyptic game where you're a bunch of survivors and going against zombies but I used this mechanic and tested it with them and they really loved it and it was really simple and fast to play and when they finished I was like well you know what, you can level that character up and you can do this and you can do that. And, do that. and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Uh, and, and once I knew that they were enjoying, because there's always that thing, like maybe I'm the only one who likes to play like this. <laughs> yeah. Because I couldn't see any other games out there like this. And I was sure. like, well, there might, be a re- there might be a very logical business reason for that. Uh, but I thought, yeah, now, you know, like my terrain, people seem to like it. I'm sure they're going to like this. And so I, I, I just went straight in with the belief that people will enjoy core space. And I just put all of my 20 years worth of uh, uh, what I've been wanting to do with this straight into core space. Um, and I took out the stuff that wasn't needed and I put in everything that I was. And then I play tested it to death until I was really happy with the system. Um, and yeah, that's how I kind of went. It was, it was, it really was, I've always wanted to do the game, but I just didn't want to do it wrong. So you say, you know, the core space that I could buy today is, yep. is in many ways very similar to the center game that you played 20 years ago, right? That these core mechanics have been part of how you played. Um, so what are those? So if, I, if you were to distill down what is the essence that didn't change, what would that be? 
Okay, so I see it like I see it. I really see it as my um, my book of physics, really. So in the same way that you know uh, you look at the world and everything's governed by the laws of physics, you know you can do various different things, but it's kind of you're you're kind of cemented down, and that's how I see the core space rule book really. Um, uh, so th- there's some very simple stuff, things that people would be very very used to, like movement, you know. So you've got you know within reason most characters got like two actions you know and you can do usual thing you can move this set amount of uh, space you can take this many actions you can uh, sorry you can uh, yeah you can uh, attack this thing you can interact with this item over here you can throw something you can pick something up you can drag it you can open this thing you know so you've got all these kind of um uh, basic actions um and it kind of it wraps itself up in um the the way the game plays so often you would have so for for example each each character has its own little dashboard and on that dashboard you'll get a character card and that character card will just be the character and because of the the personality of that character he will have like a points value and that's the best that character could ever be if you advance him and so on and so forth you get strong characters just in just like physics in real life you get very strong big guys and you get like really sure. brainy kind of you know it's that and I, and I kind of I kind of this is going to sound weird now, but I kind of see people. I kind of see people like this. Um, <laughs> I mentioned it to the people I used to work with, and they're just like they just think I'm nuts. But hopefully, people people on this podcast might not think so much. Gamers might I, get it. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I just uh, yeah. When, uh, after you get to sort of know people, you kind of I, I, I feel like most people, the average person, has got like you know fifty points. You know, and they've got like their intelligence and their strength and their endurance, their willpower, <laughs> all these usual things. And the average person's got 50 points and they spend that, they spend it there. You know, you might get, you might get, you know, a couple of super people got 60 points, 65 points, and you can get some people that are not so uh, well endowed with points. Um, I'm getting risky here, but uh, the, what happens is, is that I kind of see it and I see people like that. And I'm like, wow, you spent a lot of points over there. But, Interesting it's affecting over here and i see myself the same you know so if you look at my ability with maybe art and creativity and the things that i feel that i'm good at um i feel like i've spent all my points over there Uh, but if you look at me in in other directions so in uh, battle systems i'm not allowed to touch words because i'm just terrible (laughs) at them i'm horribly (laughs) dyslexic i'm you know i i I, i'm just i'm just you know uh if it wasn't for my creative side I, i would you'd have to just lock me away. I wouldn't be good for society. So, <laughs> but, but so, so I feel like I've spent all my points over here. Sure. Um, and so you've got this character card that slots into this dashboard and that's your character and they've got a career and they've got their skills and they've got their health and their actions and all this sort of stuff. And they've got some uh, abilities that are unique to them, you know, that might give them that, that little advantage because of their character trait, their alien or whatever, you know. Um, and then underneath that, you get to give them a class board. And this is a little board that basically says, okay, well, here's your core character. Now, this person, what would you like them to be? And it's that cl- almost like classic video game thing. You've got your tech and you've got your soldier and your hunter and your marine and all this kind of stuff. And those skills will be set. And you put that in there. Um, and then underneath, you've got a space for what they can carry. And then underneath that, you've just got uh, three levels of pegs. Um, which is your health, so it's easy to track, and you've got your skill pegs, which are not infinite in the game. People get exhausted. You can only there's only so yep. many times you can do your special thing before it becomes unspecial. Um, and then you've got your your kind of ammo at the bottom. 
Uh, and then you chuck this rookie character along with some other traders into your game, and they slowly, as they go through the as you play games with them, they slowly advance, and you get to choose where they're going with their career. Career, you're like, well, I want them a bit more close combat. You might choose someone uh, a class that's got a lot of that, or you want a tech. And then even once you've chosen that, as you advance, every time you finish a game, you get a career point. You get to allocate that to a new skill, and and you can choose even on that class card where that skill what so you you might have chosen a tech but you might want them really good at these tech skills and not so much at these so you can really kind of and and you develop your character and so a lot of emphasis comes on the character and that's the role-playing aspect of it that's the rpg aspect yeah Yeah. and it's got that development you've got a lot of control over that um but all of that stuff is kind of done between the games so it's you're not bogged down with any any of it and it's kind of iconized as well which means that you don't there's not lists of texts everywhere and once you've it's kind of uh, kind of heavy on the icons but once you get used to your skills that you've got you can kind of oh I'm going to use this skill at the right time um and so you develop your character through that you develop your whole crew of characters through that um uh, but it plays really fast because right. of the choices you made between when you're playing it plays incredibly fast you make your choices so you get this real cinematic kind of narrative that's it. great. And the game kind of creates it. I mean, you'll have a mission, it'll tell you what the objective is, and there'll be a thematic story behind it. But the narrative comes from the game when you're playing it because situations just happen, you know, whilst you're playing the game with the civilians, all the different types of NPCs are moving around you, a bit like real life. And 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 and, and some of the situations you get in, you're just like, oh, it's like Sod's Law. It's like, why? Why is this why are these civilians <laughs> suddenly walked into here and done this thing? And you know, and it's just like real life. And it creates this kind of story as you're playing the game. But it's fast. And when you're done, all the things that you've 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 created and you've you've salvaged and you've found and etc. You then trade and you can advance your crew and you've got a that's great. ship that's falling apart and you've got to, you know, um, sometimes you've got to extract your crew and it goes on and on and on and on. So I'd be curious, Colin, I've, you know, talking to designers, I've heard like, you know, 90% of the game is the same as I've gone through all these iterations. But what I've often heard is at the last leg. So whether it be when you've opened up playtesting, um, you know, you're in the last little bit, the last iteration, there often is a huge uh, discovery. And it might be something that you added you didn't have and it was a missing key for so long. Or a lot of times I hear that there's something that was existing the whole time that once you finally cut it, it made the game work. Was there a final like iteration where you said, Oh, I finally figured out what was the missing piece. Either something I added or took away that really just made it all finally work together. Was there something like that for core space? God, that's a cracking question. And I'm really trying to think of this amazing answer that I can do that. Question well, sometimes it can be a with... small thing though. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really, I really don't, I don't think I can pinpoint uh, a, a thing where I'm like, wow, I'm so, we're so glad we took that out of the last minute or we so, I mean, there is there, that process kind of, maybe it's because that process is handled uh, a lot. Okay. So um, there's, there's the, the, I mean, this might be similar to a lot of people when they're designing games. Um, uh, I know I've got a good friend from a, a company called Grimlord Games, um, Adam Smith, and we have this very same kind of process and what we do is when you play test the game it's kind of like we've got like you know our ipad here uh, yep. our notepad or whatever and you just play through the game every time you come to any kind of stumbling block you make a note 
And, and, and at the end of the game, we then go through and we change anything that needs to be changed, update a rule on anything that needs to change. And, and, and so we end up with a new rule book and we play again, sticking to the letter of those rules. And so there's there's definitely plenty of changes that happen. Nothing right. kind of nothing like, oh my God, we, we have to change this entire concept. But it's always kind of like, you know what, this is either a little bit too powerful or this needs to be removed. But it's a very gradual kind of chipping away at the sculpture. And, and, and so by the time we get to just before release or anything, really the game, by the time we get to Kickstarter, the game is really, really kind of solid. Um, so on the first born, which we did, I think, in November, we're still playtesting stuff now. And what happens is I send the stuff to Stuart. Stuart then comes back and puts it in a rule book because, like I said, I'm not allowed to touch words. And right. it's great because I actually get the, my rule book, which, you know, for me is just scribbles. And I'm like, wow. And then I use his his letter of the law to check everything and, and play the game. Um, and even now while playing, I, I will go back and go, you know what? I think this thing over here, and he'd be like, yeah, I think we need a new icon for that which is to do with hover because this over here doesn't work and it doesn't affect this and and so we tweak it and i go back in and i play or, or the hunters they're not really getting around the board quick enough so let's do this with their actions or let's make them only do this thing in this situation so there's lots of little tweaks like that and then i'll play it again and they go how did that go and i'll be like it's great they're all over the place get their their right pain you know now they're all getting now they feel in right. the face. yeah they feel like they should be you know um and so uh, there's that process going on. And we also get, like Wayne will, will put the uh, the characters' um, uh, bios together as well. So I'll constantly go back and check those and be like, no, this doesn't sound right. And you come back with something else and go, that's right. And then I'll take that bio and I kind of look at their character cards before we go to print. And I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to switch that skill that's inherent on his yep. card because it doesn't go with his bio. Or if I really need that skill on there because it's part of the game, I'll go back and say, you know what? Let's not say he's a, you know, this or this character's in this type of thing because it goes against the mechanic that I need in the game. Um, so, so we're constantly tweaking. I mean, every week at the moment, we're, we're tweaking small parts of that. So it does, it definitely does happen. Um, but, it, but it sounds like no, it's more gradual for you, Colin. It's, defi- it's definitely gradual. Um, and, yeah. and, and of course, the system has been played for you know for me decades yep. so you know that's not saying it was perfect it absolutely wasn't but but it's grounded in this thing that i've played so many times right um, and like i say even to even to this day i'll back a kickstarter um hellboy is a great example you know and i'll get it through and i'll be like great i'll just print myself up some hellboy cards with the characters on it and i'll convert their skills and i'll just sit and i'll play that game i'll use the core space rule book and i will play it <laughs> and you know you kind of you as you're reading you're kind of slotting out the non-thematic words and you're putting, yep. putting something else in. Um, so there wasn't really anything in that in that particular respect. Um, there was a lot of things that I did that I did on purpose because I didn't like it in yep. certain games, but, but, but nothing that changed at the last minute. So uh, out of curiosity's sake, when you, when you think about the game exposure, so and I think about it as, a, as concentric circles, right? So it starts off, it's in Colin's head, only Colin plays this game, and that's the universe, right? Then the yep. circle gets a little bit bigger as you show somebody else the game and you teach them how to play it. Then you get to play testing and the circle gets bigger. But then when that thing is released, the circle is exponentially larger. When it it's out, out in the wild and people are playing it. When that happened with Core Space, what came back that surprised you? What did you not anticipate? Okay, um, this was the thing I was most scared about because 
everybody I spoke to in the industry basically just said, your first version of the game is going to... Garbage. They're going to find <laughs> stuff that you just didn't didn't know or don't like or whatever. And so I was really kind of prepared for this huge backlash. But I was also, from a business point of view, it's like, it's fine. If that's what we need to get this to where it needs yep. to be, maybe it's too introverted. I play it. Everyone has a certain play style, for example, you know. Um, right. And I think what surprised me the most was the the just the love from the community of the game when it went out there. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like you know, oh, we're great, battle systems, great, we do this great game, and everybody loves well, it. Well, I hear you know? you're a fan of battle systems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, it's but, okay but, to like what you do. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, we we can't. I think the thing that surprised me was is you know, if I'm being honest, is is just the, the the lack of bad reviews. That's you good. Just you just can't find you just can't find a good bad review, you know. So everybody's, you know, there's cr- certain criticisms, you know, and some of the some of those things we tweaked, like in a right. different version, you know, and we've got like a little uh, rata thing, you know, and some of that. But really, it was just uh, watching people play the game and watching them learn that you can't play core space the way. Um, that you would might play a normal game. So normally people get sure. like a bunch of their, they see them as heroes and they rush in guns blazing. And they're like, wow, I died in like two rounds. I was like, yeah, <laughs> because because these are not your heroic characters. These traders in core space, they're just people like you and me who are trying to right. scrape a living. You know, yeah, what would you do if you ran into a room and these alien robots, what, what would you do? Well, I'd hide behind that cargo crate and peep up and try and pop them down. We'll do that then because that's, 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 that's the reality of who you are. You are not this Herculean kind of like superhero. Um, well, let, let me rephrase the question then for you, Chris or Colin. Um, let's think about what people loved about it then. Was there aspects of the game that you just didn't anticipate would catch fire? So with, when you were getting feedback and you were like, you know what? Yeah, like I love that you love that part of the game. But I didn't anticipate that. That Like what surprised you? Um, uh, yeah, like I say, the thing I remember the most is people's play style. Um, I think what what came back was um, was the the, narr- the the narratives people got into. I did, I didn't expect them to get the same narrative that that I would play. So when people are playing the game, they're like, "Oh wow, this was really crazy because we went in with our gangers and instantly lost a crew member." So I was really careful after that, and we found this <laughs> thing over here. But then these civilians come in, and he traded, which was great. But then he. It turned out he was this live one in disguise and I had to do and so we was all we all had to run out of this thing and just as we got here, there's this the gangers, the load of gangers turn up and they were kind of putting pressure. But then the police turned out and started taking on the gangers and the gangers had infight, you know, and this is all controlled by the game and, and it kind of like and when they get back, they're, they, they're playing the game like me. They're basically saying, yeah, they're talking about the characters the same way that I speak about them. So Got they weren't it. saying, oh, my captain, this happened to my captain and I had to extract them very mechanically using rule number seven, subsection right. five. You know, it was kind of like, it was all kind of like, oh, you know, Captain Weaver was up to his usual stuff and he just didn't give a crap <laughs> about this and he left this guy for dead and he was a new rookie. He shouldn't, you know. And so we're having this kind of thematic and it was... It, what what I think what surprised me was is that I kept being told that people who play games are sticklers for the rules and you know mm-hmm. if 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 it's too wooshy, willy wooshy uh, too uh, uh, washy the rule you know not too too in a grey area they they'll say it's broken and all didn't get any of that I ju- we just got this 
you know, both from, you know, professional people, reviewers within the industry, you know, that just got the game and decided to review it. Yeah. Um, but from all, all, I mean, at the time of, you know, you know, we've got tens of thousands of people on um, Facebook and stuff like that. And it was just this positive um, wash great. of people just saying, it's great. Um, you know, I think people are really surprised by the, um, what we call the real search as well. And I'm glad that people, that was another thing that I'm glad people really went for. Uh, I've got a real bug there with games is that if you go in and you've got a game and you, um, and you've got like a character board, as you go through the game, you might pick things up or I found a knife and I found a gun and, and, and it's a deck of cards. And, right. and I go to a room and kind of want to search for something. And if someone gets there first or does something in another room, they then take the card off that deck. And I'm like, if I got there first, I would have got that card. Now, for me, that doesn't, in my brain, that just doesn't work. It's like, but no, that is either in that room or it's not. So one, it's one not Schrodinger's uh, knife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm kind of like, well, why don't, why can't I, you know, I, when, when I set the board up, if there's something in that room, I want it to be in there at the beginning of the game. And if I don't get it, I want it to be there at the end of the game. And I want to have right. a look and see what I missed, that kind of thing. So with, uh, with Core Space, what we have, um, I mentioned the, the dashboards and the characters. Underneath the class board, you've got this little strip and uh, where you put your equipment you're carrying. And you really can only carry what you can fit in that strip. You know, so I didn't like computer games where you'll get a character and they're holding like about 15 weapons and you're like, well, where are they? Because I can't, yeah. he's got one on his back. I can't see anything else. That breaks the game for me. I just don't want to play it. So yeah. I, I kind of like, so so you set up all the little cargo crates and the cargo crates, they're real things. You know, they're three-dimensional things, just like core space. It's all three-dimensional walls, the whole thing. And when you get in that room, you get your character net, you spend an action, you open the cargo crate, you pick it up, you tip the contents into your hand. It's there. You look at your dashboard. It's like, what can I carry? Well, I can only carry those two, but you know what? This thing I'm carrying is not worth as much as that. So you swap it out, you close it, you put the cargo crate back down. You know what was in there. No one else does because your nice. character's in there. Uh, and so now I've got this stuff in my dashboard. Um, and I'm like, what do, and I go to another room. What do I carry? What do I take? I can only carry a certain amount. So you, you've got to really make that choice. And when I get back, I then sell, you know, obviously I can sell and trade and craft that stuff and use it to repair things and so on and so forth. Um, and I think people were kind of, I think people, I was really happy that people were giving the feedback that they really loved the fact that, that it was there. And at the end of yeah. the game, they're like, oh, we never made it to that room. Now you could, with a deck of cards, you couldn't like go, well, let's pull the next deck. Let's, you know, and see right. what it was. Or someone might shuffle it. It was like, well, it's been moved, but you could literally go there and open it, tip it out and go, Oh my God, if I'd just been a bit more adventurous, I would have got like, you know, the, uh, the knife of Gala Gala or whatever, so magical, <laughs> whatever, you know, so I kind of like, I, I, it's that ability to be able to, I love the fact that they were, they were kind of sold on this real search and the fact that you can only carry this. And it was real. It was very, it's all grounded in this really realistic, you yep. know, kind of stuff. So, well, um, yeah. It's gotta be neat, Colin, to know that something that was as boring as inventory that you got excited about and that mattered to you. And it has been exciting to see other people latch onto it and notice it as well. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it's just born out of my frustrations of, um, you know, uh, other games, whether it be a computer game or, you know, a board game. It's just, it just, sometimes things just break for me. You know, yep. it breaks, breaks the immersion. And, and, and maybe it's just me, but I'm all about the immersion, which is why, you know, with Core Space, you get all the 3D scenery in the box because it's like, no, you can't play Core Space without 3D scenery. You can't have beautiful miniatures and not have a real door to open and not be able to, you know. So when I'm when, when you walk into a room, you can immediately see line of sight because there's a wall in the way. 
or right. and you can duck behind the cargo crate and it covers the miniature <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's like, well, you, it's going to be harder for you to hit me. And everyone, that is, is an instant thing. So yeah. what happens? You have this immersion. So while you're playing the game, you kind of everything else around you kind of disappears, and all you can see is these dashboards, which is kind of like your your HUD, isn't it, of your of sure. your, your characters? Uh, and you can see your ammo. You can look at a dashboard and immediately kind of get this like split second look of the health of your character as far as what they've got, whether it's worth taking the risk, how much ammo they've got, whether their skills are left and all this kind of stuff. And you can look back at the board at the room. You can see all of the characters you can see in a three-dimensional environment. And there's something about that immersion that just makes everything that a little bit more real. And I think that's part of where the narrative comes from as well. Well, it, it takes a kid looking at a rogue trader for the first time. It takes them back to that moment, right? Where you're just lost in your own little world. So that's that's fantastic. So Colin, for those listening that um, are getting as excited about the game as uh, as you are talking about it, um, where is the best place for them to find Core Space? Okay, so um, Core Space, uh, you, can, uh, you can find it probably in many retail stores. Um, uh, We've got, um, we can find it on a website, okay? So if you go to, you know, the obvious plug, uh, battlesystems.co.uk, then you'll find it on there. You'll find uh, all of our terrain and everything else you need. Um, you'll also find it in, you know, we, we do retail all over the world as well. And in fact, we ship all over the world straight from website, but we also are in, you know, retail stores across the world as well. So you'll, you search online, you'll find it somewhere uh, mm-hmm. somewhere local or somewhere that can be shipped from or or just get it direct from us. We we, we we don't care where you get it as long as you get it and enjoy playing it. Uh, then I'm, you know, I'm a happy man. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it should be dead easy to find. Um, it's kind of a weird one because we were very um, – the thing that we got told again many times was, was uh, be really careful on your second print run because the – Obviously, when you first get something in after Kickstarter, the the, the stock can go pretty quick, yeah. and then you're like, "Oh wow, we, if we did that in, you know, if we sold all that in two years, or you know, then we're going to have to, you know, double our doodars on on uh, you know our numbers, and and it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't work like that. So we be, we was very cautious and we tried to approach it properly, but every time we've um, reprinted, I think we're on our fourth reprint of the original. No kidding. Now. Yeah, and every time we've had to print more than whatever our last print number was so for us it, it's kind of like it seems to be breaking a lot of um the normal retail stuff which as far as i'm concerned is just a good you know a good um a good indication of validation exactly yeah so yeah um and i think i think that's the that's the thing so uh we you will find it. You will find core space anywhere. And if for whatever reason it's out of stock anywhere, it won't be long because we've got another big shipment coming in. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. It's and I think so part of that as well is the fact that we don't just we don't just put the game out there. It's not like um, it's not like a game you play and then you put it away. It's um, core space never ends. So it's kind of we're always supporting it. We put out things like Mission Mondays and. Nice. Um, we support you with additional products, which we sell funds now away from Kickstarter to make sure that you've got more expansions and there's a whole ton of expansions. So you can really flavor core space the way you want it to be flavored. That's exciting. If you want more civilians wandering around like a bit more real life, then you can pop some more of those in. You can do all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, um, yeah, we really do kind of just keep keep everybody kind of um, interested in it because... I want to, I mean, I, Core Space is still the game that I play. It's what, you know, 
Um, it's it's the reason you know to get up in the morning for me just playing <laughs> playing the games really. So so um, so so yeah. Um, if you want to if you want to jump in and uh, grab a bit of core space, then um, I would say go to a website first and have a look and learn a little bit more about it. Um, and then grab it from wherever you want, really. We don't mind. <laughs> that's great. So, Colin, is there anything on the horizon for uh, Battle Systems that's got you excited right now? Okay, yeah. So, um, we've, we, we, we've obviously, we've got Core Space at the moment, um, the original Core Space. We've also got our latest Kickstarter, which is Core Space Firstborn, which takes our traders to the complete edge of the galaxy where people don't normally go in the Perseus arm. That's where... Core Space is basically set within a tiny, tiny area. It's massive, obviously, but a tiny area of the, the Perseus arm in our galaxy about 1,500 years from now. Uh, but we, our next thing, we kind of they, they kind of find a way to get to the tip of this other place, and we got this first bomb. So that I'm really excited about that because I'm getting to play lots of Core Space because I'm doing the final play testing and I'm having these amazing adventures. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. What we're going to be moving to now is one of the reasons... One of the things we do when I'm designing the terrain is knowing what's coming in the future. So when I was doing our sci-fi terrain over the last sort of two, three, and four years, um, it's got a lot of things in it that already support core space. So all the cargo crates that we did in our 3D terrain before were already the size of core, the, the, that were needed for the components for core space because I was designing core space at the same time. So I'm kind of like, well, let's just make sure this is all compatible. Right. Um, so for example, Core Space Cut, like I say, comes with the 3D um, terrain in the box, but you can say, right, I want to be a more shiny galactic set, um, area. You can pick up our multi-level galactic set, or you can say, right, I want to be gangers and dirty outlands kind of thing. You can go and pick out our like, outland set and so on and so forth. Obviously, we've just done a fantasy terrain Kickstarter um, reasonably recently. Um, and within that, I've made sure that the components, the little chests and so on, are compatible with... Um, what we're planning next, which is um, a fantasy version of core space, um, so that we've got this core physics, you know, uh, yeah. mechanic that we've got uh, as usual. And um, I'm really looking forward because we've already got the train support it, and you know, we're kind of looking at this more of a dungeon type thing. One of the one of the most requested sets we had was the dungeon terrain that we do, which we've discontinued now because obviously we're going to replace it with something a little special. Um, and so really looking forward to kind of getting into that kind of fantasy vibe and I'm enjoying sort of putting the concepts and the characters together um, and taking that physical rule book, that mechanic of that and popping, popping it in the fantasy and then giving it my version of the fantasy twist, you know, right? Um, something a little bit different. Um, but interestingly, uh, based in the same universe as Core Space, or should I say based in the same galaxy as Core Space, um so it really it's kind of happening you know it, it's kind of like almost like another expansion of core space but of course it's sure, not, you sure. Know? so I, I think if you you know when it comes time to the you know to launch the fantasy if people have not seen core space before or anything like that they wouldn't really know that it's related but anyone that owns core space will probably see the odd easter egg and go wait a minute I recognize that, you know. <laughs> that looks and, familiar. <laughs> and of course, we've got this huge story that we're telling with Core Space, which is a slowly unfolding thing, you know, um, to do with, I haven't really touched on it, but to do with, you know, the main um, threat of the galaxy, the Purge, and where they come from. And, you know, and everybody's like, well, I wonder if this is related to this and this and that. It's like, well, you've got to wait for the story to unfold. <laughs> you know, we've got this big story. Uh, and Core Space is all about lo location. So really interested to kind of, go to this fantasy uh, yeah. particular place of the galaxy 
um, where it's not all futuristic and uh, develop out that world and maybe see an overriding story that kind of brings all Uh-oh. things together. That'll be really, really cool. So I'm kind of excited about that. You know, it's a long, like I said, we've got a five-year plan. So, um, and, and I really want to play these, this, these games myself, you know, so um, they're going to happen regardless. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, Colin, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, my friend. It was really enjoyable to learn kind of, you know, your process, your approach and kind of the uh, hell of a journey that you've gone through. Yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one, but um, I'm not going to complain. Life is definitely a journey, so uh, it's had its ups <laughs> and downs, and and it's been you know it's not it's not easy. It's um, yeah, the, the the work involved is immense. You, it's not yeah, it's not it just does it, it's not something that just falls falls easily as it were. But um, yeah, if it wasn't something I was passionate about, I wouldn't have done it. Well, I mean, the work's the work, right? Being passionate about it makes it easier, but it doesn't make it less work. <laughs> no, no. I just enjoy what I'm doing. So I can do it yeah. for many, many, many more hours than I could if it was anything else. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate talking about it. And, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me over. Oh, it was great, Colin. And for those of you that stuck around to the end to listen, I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the Third Floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. Yeah, waffled a bit there. Sorry about that. I did. It was phenomenal. Okay, phenomenal, cool. my friend. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. I'll jump in and shut you up if I need to. Don't worry. Excellent. All right. Um. All right. I know how to bring us back. So we went completely off script, my friend, and it was awesome. Is that all right? Was it? Yeah. I've got yep. I've got the script in front of me. Yeah. Yep. We we completely Start broke off from it, and yeah. we killed a break and. But it was a, it, this is the type of conversation I like, though, Colin, so I appreciate it. It's just let's cool. talk about it. Let's uh, see where we go. So you guide think- me where you want to go. That's fine. Beautiful. So when we get back, what I want to talk about is the reality of running a company in the industry and what that's mm-hmm. like, um, uh, particularly what it was like as you transitioned from this is something I do on the side to now it's how I support me and my family. Um, yep. And then I would like to talk about the Kickstarter process, if that's OK. Sure, definitely. Great. And then we'll jump into core space, which is what I'm real, real excited. Yeah, no worries. Beautiful. All right, I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast, too, while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.